0: Well, good morning, and it's good to be with all of you and to have the privilege in sharing in God's Word with each of you. So as we go to it, uh, before we hear from God's Word, let's ask once more for His help, and then we'll dive in. Let's pray. Father, we entrust ourselves to you this morning in prayer. You've told us you are the good shepherd, and so, Lord, we ask for your tender and good and right and true shepherding this morning. Lead our hearts. Help us to see you truly in your word. Help us to see ourselves rightly from your word. And Father, aid us in our worshiping of you in spirit and in truth. For Christ's sake, we pray in his name. Amen. Well, what tempts you to look down on other Christians? What tempts you to look down on other Christians? Perhaps there's comparison or jealousy. You know, maybe they have that house or that job or they went on that vacation. Perhaps we label them as materialistic. Or maybe we feel bad for ourselves that we don't have that kind of sort of material means. Maybe it's raising kids. I raise my kids better than them. They don't raise their kids as well as I do. I don't raise my kids as well as they do. Maybe the Lord has just simply given you sort of these certain gifts or aptitudes which we ought to praise God for, but your tendency is to impose and expect others to have those same gifts leads to bitterness or resentment. Or maybe you're jealous of other people's giftedness or aptitudes. Maybe you feel underappreciated or taken advantage of. It feels like you you give and you give and you give But you don't feel like there's a whole lot of reciprocation. You pour yourself out for your community group, for children's ministry, for your church family, for your own family, but you feel like everybody around you just sort of takes, and there's no giving back. Maybe it's just simple annoyances you have a hard time just interacting with this other brother or sister. You come from really different worlds and different backgrounds. It's hard to figure out what you really even talk about. So you'd rather maybe just avoid the awkwardness. Avoid the interaction. Or maybe your form of sort of looking down on others is is really just having a hard time caring at all, generally. It's wearisome to be involved with others. It it takes effort and, and energy. And a lot of times there's a whole lot of discomfort that comes with it. You're afraid of getting hurt again. You really just want a quiet weekend. Well, whatever it is, if we're honest, I think we have a harder time caring well than we would like to think. We have a harder time caring well for one another than what we would like to think. And our passage this morning, thankfully, speaks into that very circumstance, Our passage this morning in Matthew chapter 18 gets to the heart of why we ought not to look down on one another, but why we must care affectionately for one another. So I invite you to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 18. That's where we'll be this morning. It's found on page 823 of your pew Bible there in front of you. Matthew 18. We'll be picking up in verse 18. 10, and reading all the way through verse 14. 10-14, through 14, Matthew 18. Jesus says to his disciples, see that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I tell you that in heaven their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep, and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the 99 on the mountain and go in search of the one that went astray? And if he finds it, truly, I say to you, he rejoices over it more than the other 99 that never went astray. So it is not the will of my Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish was we take a break from Genesis this week. We jump back into the other side of the Bible, the opposite Testament in Matthew, and continue our series in parables, considering the parables that Jesus has told His disciples. And if you've been with us, you may remember that uh, formerly starting our parables out, we started in Matthew chapter 13. And in Matthew chapter 13, Jesus Sort of strings together this group of parables to teach his disciples about the nature of the kingdom that he's proclaiming. So he's teaching about the nature of this kingdom in these parables. Well, we pick up in chapter 18, and if chapter 13 focused a lot of on, on the character or the nature of the kingdom, chapter 18 focuses on the conduct of those kingdom citizens. So we pick up in 18 thinking about, you know, the the disciples would be in the shoes where where they're saying, you know, I I believe these words of Jesus. I believe about this kingdom that he's talking about. But but now that I believe, the question is, how do I live as a kingdom citizen? How, How do I live truly as a Disciple of Jesus. And that's what Jesus is getting at here in this very passage. So, our main idea this morning, the main idea that I think we pull out of this passage is this Christians care for one another because we are God's privileged and prized possessions. Christians care for one another because we are God's privileged and his possessions. We're going to break that out in sort of two points. Point one, we care for disciples because we're privileged by God. We care for disciples because we're privileged by God. We see there in verse 10, Jesus starts with this exhortation. See that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I tell you that in heaven, their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. Now at the outset, I think we need to ask ourselves the question, who is Jesus actually talking about in this passage? Who, who are these little ones that we are not to despise? Is he talking about infants? Is he talking about children? Is he talking about short Christians? Is he talking about young Christians? Well, if we turn back to the beginning of this chapter, I think we get clues about that. Chapter 18, verse 1, he says this. Matthew writes, At that time the disciples came to Jesus, and here's their question. Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus, calling to him a child, he put the child in the midst of them and said, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. So so at the beginning of this entire scene, scene, the, the question that the disciples ask, they ask the question, who's the greatest Jesus? And Jesus says, no, 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 that's not the question. Let me reframe the question for you. The question is, who's actually in the kingdom? And he's going to pull aside a child and use this child to illustrate a spiritual reality. He's going to say, You've got to turn from your jockeying for the world's greatness. Right? That's the question they're, they're concerned about. You've got to turn away from your sins for jockeying for greatness, and you've got to humble yourself before the Lord so, to express a, a childlike dependence upon the Lord. Those are the people who are in my kingdom. Those are the ones who are in my kingdom kingdom, in my family. They've humbled themselves before God. They've cast themselves by faith entirely on Christ and His mercy. They are exercising a childlike dependence upon their heavenly Father. So in other words, this passage isn't exactly about physical children. More specifically, it's about spiritual children of God. It's about heaven-bound believers, those who are believing God and His promises. This is confirmed further in verse 6, where the little ones are described as those who believe. So we're talking about Christians, but we also need to see that this call at the very beginning shapes our passage as we understand it this morning, this call to humble one's self. Y'all, if we are to care well for one another, that ability to care well only grows in the soil of humility. Only grows when we've humbled ourselves before the Lord. This need for humility is crucial for us understanding how to obey the command in our passage. If Jesus' call is not to despise or look down on other disciples. Well, we can't do that if we're proud. Now, in the original language, back in our passage in verse 10, see to it that you do not despise one of these little ones. That, that word you there is actually in the plural. So, so it's a community command. Command. If, if you translated this into my native language of Texan, it would be see that y'all don't despise one another. Or if you go up north, you guys don't despise each other, right? See to it that y'all are caring for one another. And what's Jesus' rationale here? Well, the first reason he gives is their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. Now if you're like me, you probably maybe remember some kind of cartoon or TV show and there's a scene of somebody considering something mischievous and they've sort of got an angel on one side of their shoulder and then a bad angel on the other side of their shoulder and they're kind of whispering the reasons why they should follow the way that they're suggesting. Well, that is definitely not what Jesus is talking about here okay? That is not what he has in mind here. And, and, and some people throughout church history have actually pointed to this passage to sort of justify sort of this one-to-one ratio of, of a guardian angel over Christians. So every Christian sort of has this guardian angel over them. I don't think that's what Jesus is actually getting at here either. We, we don't really see that in other places of Scripture to be able to sort of justify that reasoning. But what we do see in other places in Scripture, we see in Hebrews chapter 1 that angels are ministering spirits and they're commissioned by God to serve collectively the good of His people, those who would inherit salvation. We also see in the book of Revelation there there are angels that seem to be serving as guardians over collective churches. We see in the Psalms that the angels collectively encamp around God's godly ones. So so rather than us sort of uh, imposing this idea of sort of one-to-one guardian angels as we read this passage, I think the better way to think about this is. Every angel, everywhere, serving every believer, working for their good. And that's the picture that Jesus is getting at here. And so here's how his argument goes. Jesus' point is that understanding the privileged spiritual status of every Christian guards us against looking down on one another. Understanding the privileged spiritual status of another believer in the Lord guards you from a condescending attitude towards them. Say, for example, the the most honored king in the world gave you the responsibility to look over his son and to entertain him for the day. And he sends that son to you with a host of 100 other people enlisted by the king. Soldiers, noblemen, servants, they all follow behind this son. Well, I would be willing to bet that that company of 100 following the son would probably influence the way that you would treat that son. It, It would be a constant, regular, always before you reminder of the nobility of this king's son, the privilege of this king's son. So what Jesus is is getting at is that these kingdom citizens have the God of the universe as their father. They have the sinless son as their brother. They have angels commissioned by God to serve the good of their well-being and if God has gone to such great lengths to care for his children in this way how can we not not care for them well I wonder what is it that tempts you to look down on your church family Is it an overcritical spirit? Unmet expectations. Bitterness. Unforgiveness. A spirit of comparison or jealousy. A sense of just feeling misunderstood and unknown. Y'all, we've got to realize that. Attitudes like these hinder our ability to care for one another in the way that God has designed. And one of the best motivators that Jesus gives here according to this passage is to remember the favored status of Christians in the Lord's eyes. Remember the favored status of Christians in the Lord's eyes. Consider that they have Christ as their brother. Consider that they have God as their father, a heavenly host there to minister to them and wonder at that very reality. Be moved by that truth from coldness to care. Be moved by that truth from numbness to knowing them. Be moved by that reality from annoyance to admiration. Be moved from selfishness to selflessness, from despising to dignifying, from frustrated to being a friend. Take that person to the Lord. Pray to the Lord and say, Lord, help me to see my brother, my sister, in the way that you see them. Inflame my heart with a true love and affection for them. Well, point one, Christians care for one another because we're privileged by God. We are privileged by God. But not only that, number two, Christians care for one another because we are prized by God. Christians care for one another because we are Prized by God. Verse 12, What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the 99 on the mountains and go in search of the one that went astray? And if he finds it, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more than the other 99 that never went astray. So Jesus here poses a question in the form of a parable or story to his disciples. He says a certain man has a hundred sheep and very likely this would be a shepherd, but we aren't told that explicitly. And one of his 100 sheep goes astray. Now this would come with great financial ramifications, every sheep being valuable in the shepherd's eyes. And he asks the question, will he not leave the 99 to go find the one? And this question is rhetorical because even when he says it or asks it, he's assuming that the answer is an obvious and resounding yes. Yes, of course they would go to seek that sheep out. A couple other helpful details to to see here in the passage is that that word gone astray, it, it can actually be translated led astray or is deceived. So this sheep isn't just simply missing the latest version of Google Maps. This sheep is actually under a faulty impression of reality. The sheep has an adversary who would want them to see things wrongly. That's what's embedded in the words that Jesus is using here. These words are selected by Jesus to imply that there very well could be an adversary deceiving the sheep. And y'all, this shouldn't surprise us, should it? We know from God's Word elsewhere that we do have an adversary. We do have a deceiver who is the father of lies, who's taken the world captive by his candy-coated promises, who's taken us all by his candy-coated hooks of lies. But it's not only the devil, it's the world around us and it's our very own flesh that can deceive us. Now what's assumed here is that this wayward one is truly part of God's fold. And so those lies that we hear about, they don't just affect the world out there. They affect the flock in here. That's why Jesus enlists His people to care for one another here. Disciples themselves can also be influenced negatively by the world's system of thinking, by by Satan's deceptive lies. Well, what lies are you tempted to believe? That God's holding out on you? that the momentary sensation of feeling loved is worth the sinful indulgence? That a short fantasy is better than the difficulty of obedience? That the approval of people will actually satisfy you? That the accumulation of the world's goods Will actually give you rest. That freedom is found somewhere other than obedience to God. And y'all, let me be clear. While there is great value in asking yourself questions like those, self reflection is limited in avoiding self deception. Self-reflection is limited in avoiding self-deception. And that's why Jesus enlists his disciples here on a community care project. He's saying, all of you don't despise one another, but care for one another. Watch over one another. God's main prescription for his disciples to avoid self-deception is the local church. Think of the spiritual safety that truly comes in living transparently with God's people around God's Word. Y'all, there is safety there. Whether we like it or not, we need other people. We need other Christians. We need others' insight. We need godly counsel. We need to not just hear our own voices in our own heads all day long because the truth is we don't see rightly all the time. Essential to being a disciple of Jesus is watching over other disciples of Jesus. Yo, this is one of the reasons why why our church practices meaningful membership. It's why we have church membership. It's, it's not so we can be some sort of exclusive social club. It's, it's not so we can sort of just pat ourselves on the back and feel good about ourselves. It marks us off to one another in the membership, and it makes very clear oh, I'm responsible to give watch over that person. That person there is in my fold. That person there is somebody who who I should go pursue when I'm not seeing them over the course of months. Our church covenant makes this even more clear. We say this six times a year. We will walk together in Christian love, exercising affectionate care for and watchfulness over one another. Praying for one another, faithfully encouraging, warning, rebuking, admonishing one another as occasion may require. And y'all, let me say how thankful I am to have benefited from this personally here at this church. I have had other members come to me and not to complain about something that they didn't like that I did, but they came to say, look, I see that you did this or that you're not doing this, and here's why I'm concerned. Help me me see the full picture here, but here's why I'm concerned. A pastor friend of mine shared a story a number of years ago about a man who was married with kids. This man was saved at a later age after some sinful habits had already sort of embedded themselves in this man's life. And he knew that when he started following Jesus that some things would need to change. And so he confessed his sin of drinking too much to another church member. This man was looking like an alcoholic. Well, he confessed his sin to this man and explained to his friend in particular one moment that haunted him every day of the work week where he would be driving home from work and he'd be on the road and he'd come to a fork in the road. And if he stayed on the road, that would lead to his family, his wife, his kids. But if he took the exit, It led straight to the bar. Well, that other church member prayed for him that day, prayed for the Lord's strength to help him to resist temptation, and Monday rolled around. That man was driving home from work, fingers starting to get sweaty, knowing that that moment, that time was coming where he was going to have to make a decision. And as he neared the fork in the road, he saw a figure of a man standing there, had a sign, said, go home. Go home. Y'all, that's how we care for one another. That's how we watch over one another. We don't despise one another. We're not indifferent towards the well being of one another. We pursue one another. We cherish one another. We want the good for one another. And I think as we hear this this morning, y'all, as a church, it's helpful to realize that our church has grown quite a bit in number over the course of two pretty unusual years. And while we praise God for that growth in numbers, there's there's much to be encouraged by in that. I think that also means there's great need for us to recognize this very responsibility of caring well for one another. For us to heed this call to prayerfully, humbly, gently watch over one another. Well, what does this look like practically? What does this look like for us to do this well? A few practical words of advice on how to do this. Number one, join a church. If you're not a member of a church that takes seriously their charge to look out for your spiritual well-being, and the other members don't understand they're responsible responsible to look over your well-being as well, that's not a great church to join yourself to. And so I'd encourage you, find a good church to join yourself to if you're not a member of a gospel-preaching church. Number two, if you're a member here, use the church directory. The church directory is your friend. One of my pastor friends, he calls it the second most important book apart from a Christian's Bible. Now, the church directory here is not actually a book, it's an app, but my point still stands. It's an important way to be able to watch over one another. Get access to the church directory, pray for the Christians in that directory, text them, say, I am praying for you, is there any way that I can pray for you specifically? Number three, ask spiritual questions. Ask spiritual questions. So don't just ask, How are you doing? It's fine to ask that question. But also ask, Hey, how is your walk with the Lord? Don't just ask, Hey, how is your weekend? But you can also ask, What did you think from the latest sermon? What did God teach you from that message? Don't just talk about the weather together, but pray through a psalm with each other. There's a few ways to just move things in the direction of spiritual well-being. Number four, last one, be with God's people. Be with God's people. Attend Sunday morning. But don't just attend. Come scheming in a godly way how you can provoke other brothers in good ways to love and good deeds. To love God more. To serve serve and pour themselves out more for the sake of the gospel. Come Sunday evening. Ready to pray with God's people. Come to members meetings. Ready to exercise your responsibility as a member to see in and out the membership of the church. Well, notice what's produced by this kind of watchfulness. Verse 13. And if he finds the sheep, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it, more than over the 99 that never went astray. That means when a sheep is found and brought back to the fold, there is joy and rejoicing. This commitment to watch over each other, it's it's not so that way we just simply feel good about ourselves. Not so that we pat ourselves on the back. Not that we sort of check off, hey, I was a good friend this week box. The point is that we would reflect the heart of God towards the weak and wayward and the joy of restoring them to ourselves. Restoring them, bringing them back into the fellowship of God's fold. Rescuing the weak and wayward so that way we can model that ourselves. Now we'll do it imperfectly. We'll do it only in the faintest, recognizable sense in comparison to the way that God has done it for us, but we have the privilege to model it ourselves. Well, what about you? Is this the joy that you're seeking? Is this the joy that you are working for, looking out for the spiritual good of your other brothers and sisters in the Lord? We read from the writer in 2nd or 3rd John, the epistle, and he writes and says, I have no greater joy than to know that my children are walking in the truth. Y'all, there is great joy in knowing that God's people are walking in the truth together. And there is great joy in being part of God's plan in that very thing unfolding. And helping one another as we walk and try to follow Jesus. Verse 14. So it is not the will of my Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. Here in the last words of this parable, Jesus makes clear the resolve of His heavenly Father to keep His prized possessions. So why must we not despise our brothers and sisters in the Lord? Why must we give attention to being in a community that cares for one another? because it's perfectly in line with the will of our Father in heaven. We exercise watchfulness over one another because the will of our God to preserve His people, it actually unfolds through the persevering of His sheep to watch over one another. The end of God's preserving His sheep happens through the means of our persevering to care for one another. And y'all, as we hear this passage this morning, we have a distinct advantage that the disciples did not have when they heard this passage. We have a distinct advantage that the disciples didn't have. Y'all, we know the fullness of the story. We have a full vision of the will of the Father and the end to which He is willing to go to keep His sheep who have gone astray. Y'all, we have a full vision of the cross of Jesus Christ. What better picture do we need? What better picture can we ask for of the resolve of God the Father to keep His children for Himself, to bring back His straying sheep into His very fold? Do you lack motivation to care for others this morning? Do do you desire to grow in your heart to love and to watch over other disciples? Do you want to be a more faithful disciple of the Lord this morning? Y'all, look no further than the cross of Jesus Christ. It's there that it was the full will of the Father to send His Son. He sent His Son to go and to rescue His wayward sheep. See the Good Shepherd as He goes, and He willingly has His hands fastened to the cross so that way His children could go free. See the good shepherd going and being lifted up so that way we would not be cast out. See the good shepherd going and laying down his life and breathing his last breath so that way we could have life with him. See the good shepherd being cut off so that we could be brought in you He gave His life to bring us from darkness to light. He gave His life to bring us from being lost to being found. He gave His life to bring us into a new gathering, into a new family, and to make us brothers and sisters in the Lord. And if the Lord has gone to such great lengths to not just rescue simply you, Christian, but your other brother and sister in the Lord. How can we not care for one another? How can we be indifferent towards one another? There's no more room for despising one another. There's no more room for indifference towards one another. Y'all, there's only room for love. There's only room for caring for one another. Affectionate watchfulness, tender love, tender sympathy. Because we've seen the way the Father has loved us. So why care? Why care for one another? We care for one another, y'all because we are God's privileged and His prized possession. May we be those who privilege and prize one another in the way our Heavenly Father has as He holds us fast to the end. Let's pray. Lord, we ask of You to give us grace Lord, give us strength to care well for one another. Lord, to not simply just believe the gospel, but to live it out day by day. Give us help by your Spirit to carry out this great calling that you have given on us. And Lord, ultimately, that we would bring glory to your name. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.